Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacey Jones, the founder of Influencer Marketing and Branded Content Agency, Hollywood Branded. This podcast provides brand marketers a learning platform for top experts to share their insights and knowledge on topics which make a direct impact on your business today. While it is impossible to be well-versed on every topic and strategy that can improve bottom line results, my goal is to help you avoid making costly mistakes of time, energy, or money, whether you are doing a DIY approach or hiring an expert to help. Let's begin today's discussion. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. Here's your host, Stacy Jones. Welcome to Marketing Mistakes and How to Avoid Them. I'm Stacy Jones, and I'm so happy to be here with you all today and want to give a very warm welcome to Mark Vaniello. Mark is both an entrepreneur and a special makeup effect artist who has worked on turning actors into the creatures you've seen in hit films and TV shows, including Stranger Things, Avengers Infinity War, Lord of the Rings, Where the Wild Things Are, True Blood, and many more. Inspired by one of his daughters to graft her own magic mermaid tail from a project he was working on, Mark and his wife invented the absolutely adorable mermaid tail turned sleeping bag, Enchant Tales. And now, using his experience of working in Hollywood, he's in the midst of turning his brand creation into his own animated series. Today, we're going to talk about Mark's experiences in Hollywood and how it led him to create and successfully market a brand from an idea on screen to thousands of young girls around the country. We'll learn what's worked from Mark's perspective, what should be avoided, and how some businesses miss the mark. Mark, welcome. So happy to have you here today. Thank you, Stacey. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Of course. I just want you to say that I want to go back to being a little girl and I want my own enchantment. It is a <laughs> phenomenal invention. I wish I had that when I was little. We've heard that a lot from a lot of parents and, and uh, aunts and uncles and stuff. They just wish that I, I didn't realize how universal the thought was even years ago when we were kids. But we've, we've heard that a lot. We've heard from college kids like, do these come in adult sizes? And I'm like, yeah. I think you have a whole avenue there because think of how much has turned like you can get for your daughter a little Disney dress when you go, but you can also get the big girl dress to wear at her side. So you have something that you could expand it. We could, we'll do that on phase two once we, uh, <laughs> we get this going. Well, we've also had a request for other ones for boys. And, uh, yeah. you know, there are boy characters in our stories, but we haven't actually made that, uh, you know, done that specific, made those characters into sleeping bags yet. But it's, again, that's on the table as well. Awesome. Well, Mark, can we start off by sharing with our listeners today a little bit more about and how you got to where you are today, both as yeah. a special, you know, makeup artist, you know, <laughs> effects artist, and mm-hmm. as well as an entrepreneur? Sure. So uh, ever since I was a little kid, I, I loved monsters and I loved monster movies. Uh, my grandmother helped raise me and she knew all the black and white monster movies. So I would watch them with her and she would explain that this is Boris Karloff. That's not really Frankenstein's monster. That's not really Dracula's doctor named Bela Lugosi. And one actor she would talk about was a guy named Lon Chaney Sr. He was known as the man of a thousand faces. He was a silent actor and he was an excellent actor, but he was also a very gifted makeup artist. So his appearance changed drastically from film to film. And that really just struck a nerve with me. And, and I thought, wow, that's really cool. This guy can become someone else. So as a little kid, I started, you know, sticking stuff to my face and, and you know, trying to look, I'm a monster. You know, when most kids were playing sports or, you know, doing cars and stuff, I'm in my basement gluing crap to my face, trying to screw it up. So, <laughs> you were that child. I was that child, yes. And my, my parents were like, that's odd, but he's staying out of trouble. So we'll, we'll let him go with it. And, you know, as you get older, you, you see there's monster magazines and then you start reading about 
you know, that, that there are people, makeup artists that do this in Hollywood and New York. And um, my whole life, even going through high school, you know, didn't date anybody, didn't go to any schools. I was in my basement sculpting my monsters and gluing stuff on my face. And I thought I have to move to California. I want to do this for a living. So in uh, 1993, I packed up my car and I drove across country to pursue this bizarro dream on making monsters for movies. And I was persistent. I didn't give up. And I, you know, would, would evaluate what's working and not working. And I, once I, I vowed, once I, someone hired me, I would not ever get out again. Once my foot's in that door, I'm staying. And that's, you know, almost 30 years ago. I'm still here. So, I'm doing so did you have formal training? I know, obviously, from the time of boyhood, childhood, mm-hmm. on up to becoming an adult, you were and practicing in your garage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, hiding in your room and creating these awesome features. Mm-hmm. But did you end up having formal training to teach you along the way? I didn't personally. Well, now there's a lot of schools and there's a lot of online classes, a lot more resources when I was doing this. Uh, I did go to a state school in New York called SUNY Purchase, the State University of New York at Purchase, which is a very prestigious art school. And the great thing about Purchase was that they allowed students to explore their creativity. So, you know, it's, it, it's, when, when Purchase's charter was made, it, a lot of the money went to the arts. But in the charter, it said you have to give equal money to the other programs as well. So they've got an excellent biology, psychology, liberal. They have all these other programs that are just as good as their arts. And their arts are top notch. So when I went there, um, I was trying to figure out what do I major in? They, they, you know, there's sculpture classes, there's drama classes, there's makeup classes, for the, but it's only for the drama students. So I t- but there is a program they had called the BALA, which is a Bachelor of Arts within a Liberal Arts uh, umbrella. So for example, for normal people, if you wanted to draw uh, diagrams in a biology book, you would take your art classes, but you would also be allowed to take biology classes. And, and they found this way to, to do this interdisciplinary if what you wanted to do uh, fit. So I, I can't believe I did this. I went before the board and I said, look, I want to be a makeup effects artist. If I, and my example was if I want to use a gorilla suit for a film, like in films like Gorillas in the Mist, I have to know the biology of a gorilla and how to, you know, why lowland gorillas look a certain way or, or, or uh, you know, mountain gorillas. And then I also have to sculpt because when you make the costume, you've got to sculpt, you've got to paint, you've got to, you know, uh, run the foam latex to make the face and do these mechanisms. And they bought it. They, they're like, okay, that sounds great. You can do it. I'm like, Cool. <laughs> you know, so, but back to your question, formal training to be a makeup effects artist? No. A lot of it was on the job. But but Purchase, I was exposed to some excellent sculptors and, and just amazingly creative people that encouraged me to do this crazy dream, even though they hadn't come across somebody like me before. So that was really my only training, and it's just what I could do on my own. But now there's schools, there's tutorials, there's YouTube videos, there's, there's all kinds of things for kids that want to get in this industry. There's even TV shows like a uh, series like Face Off that they've created. I was, I worked behind the scenes on Face Off. Mm-hmm. There you go. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm very familiar with the show. And, and it was, what was great about that is that it did show that the steps that go in and it's, it's a lot, the, the, the deadlines were atrocious. Like again, watching the show, I got anxiety because I, I don't know how those kids did it, those contestants. I mean, that's a meat grinder what they had them do. So it was very, very impressive seeing the talent that came off the show. Well, I, I think there's always a pressure just being on a reality show and then oh, gosh. tasks that you have to do. It really ups the ante. And I know a lot of our listeners have no idea how fast the world and land of television actually is. <laughs> Super fast where you're getting, you know, 10 to 13 episodes just like bang down into a matter yeah. of days each instead of not weeks uh-huh. of like your standard scripted series. 
Yes. And, and even then, you know, talking to some of the contestants later, they're like, it's amazing watching the, the, the episode aired because it was shot over three days. An episode was shot in three days. And they're like, there was so much more that happened that they just, you know, truncated it to like a half hour, an hour, whatever the show was. Yeah. And I said, that's, I know that's, that's welcome to showbiz kids. So off from college, you hiked out mm-hmm. LA and you set up yep. basically in, in mm-hmm. the doors and navigating special make um, special effects makeup. Um, mm-hmm. How did you open the doors there? How did you get your first gig? I, I, so when I got out here, it was right after a writer's strike. So nobody was hiring. So I was busting tables. I mean, I'm, I'm the type of person that whatever I need to do to survive, I will. So I bust tables. I, you know, I, I remember all the odd jobs I had, but I, I still kept calling shops. I had a list of makeup effect shops and, and I, you know, basically wore them down. I, my first job, uh, well, to back up a little bit, be, busting tables is awful. And my hat's off to anybody that does that. That is a really hard job. And I thought, why am I in California busting tables? Like I know nobody's hiring right now because the writer's strike, there's gotta be something I can do. So I applied at a store called Cinema Secrets. This is around Halloween, October time. And they, they're a makeup store and they're in Burbank. They're very well known. Yeah. I used to have an office right across the street from them. And okay. I Dracula teeth and things like that. Right. So yeah. it was, it was so I, yeah, I went there and I interviewed because they have their Halloween makeover where they would, you know, have people come in and they'd pay and make up our suit. And I, and that's where I started. And, um, it was from there, my first professional job was with a makeup effects artist named Mark Showstrom, who, uh, you know, worked on Never Down the Street too. I mean, he's OG, like, you know, you'd read about him in the magazines. And he had a, a music video in, a, in an independent film called Love is a Gun with Eric Roberts, Kelly Preston, and Arlie Ermey. That was my first film I worked on with him. And then a, a Nine Inch Nails music video. And that was kind of cool because I got to meet Nine Inch Nails and hang out with them. And I got to meet those actors. I was still like, I can't believe I'm doing this. And then... Um, February 25th, 1994, I got a phone call from Tom Woodruff Jr. from Amalgamated Dynamics Incorporated and said, we're crewing up for two films called The Santa Claus and Mortal Kombat. Uh, we'd like to hire you. And I'm like, great, because I was down to $50 in my bank account. I was on the phone with my dad saying, I may have to come home because I can't afford to live out here. It's not happening. And literally he clicked through and I've been working ever since. Yeah, you just put it out to the universe of, you know, Okay, up to you, and it came through. I, I did that a lot, especially on my way out here. So I'll tell you a little story. Uh, my last film I saw in New York was Jurassic Park, first Jurassic Park. And when that film was announced, I was over the moon. I was familiar with the book. I heard Stan Winston was making the dinosaurs. I waited a year for this film to come out. And June 11th, 1993, I went to the movies with college friends, family, and we all sat and watched Jurassic Park because I knew this was my last film. I left a month later. And at the end of the film, I stood up and in the theater, I just declared out loud, I said, I'm going to work on the sequel. I said to everybody, I'm going to work on the sequel of Jurassic Park. Now, mind you, I'm 22 years old. I've never worked on any Hollywood film. I had a better chance being abducted by space aliens than working on anything in Hollywood, let alone the unannounced sequel to the biggest film that year. Right. Six years later, I'm working for Stan Winston Studios, which was a dream come true. Uh, we were wrapping up Austin Powers to The Spy Who Shagged Me. And... I see forklifts coming in through the bay doors with these giant molds. And I'm like, what is that? And someone said, we're greenlit for Jurassic. Free. We got a year. And I'm like, no way, we're doing Jurassic 3? And he said, yeah. And I was so excited. And um, Stan Winston um, actually picked me and, and allowed me to dress up as one of the dinosaurs in the film and chase people around on set. So not only did I get to work on a film, I got to play a dinosaur as well. So dreams, dreams can come true. And I do tell that. I try to tell that to everybody. 
Because if I have a ridiculous goal, you can do anything. So yeah, you did it. You visualized it. You put it out there, and you got it. Hundred percent. On that. Thank you. Thank you. So that was that was awesome. And so how. I have to ask this question just because my mm-hmm. whole world is about, you know, brands working with movies and with mm-hmm. some, and what has your experience been? Has there been cosmetic brands or other types of brands that have helped you along your way of making? Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. There, there's always, you're always looking for new and better materials and a lot of the cosmetic companies, there are some really big ones. And uh, there was a company, there is a company in New York called Alcone. And they're a makeup supply company. They supply things for Broadway. And even when I was a little kid, I would call them because they were local. I was being back east. And they would, they would be, you know, 13. I'm like, you know, 10 bucks. Can I order a quart of latex? Like, absolutely, Mr. Vanille. Like, they treated me so well and so nice, even though, you know, I'm nobody. But then I stayed in touch with them. I became friends with the owners. And they talk about their kids, like guys like me that would call that are now Emmy and Oscar winner makeup artists that would call them. And they, they were wonderful to everybody. So Alcone had some great, you know, they had a lot of great makeup brands, um, specific brands. There, there's some special effects companies, uh, brands that uh, work with certain foam latexes and composites and epoxies and things. Um, but it's always changing. And I'll, I'll take whatever it is needed to, to do the work. Whatever the work calls for, I'll find the appropriate brand to utilize for that. That's great. So you have now gone down the path. And I think one of the, you had two on your resume that just stood out for me. Uh-huh. Happen to be shows that I love. One, oh, bring it. Blood, uh-huh. and then the other, of course, Stranger Things, right? Okay. And, and, and yeah. you, you had a massive, massive hand in Stranger Things, to my understanding. We were so I, I'm working for a company called Spectral Motion. Spectral Motion is a makeup effects company. It's owned by Mike and Mariella Zaldi, and they have been doing stuff for the Hellboy films. And I've known Mike for for almost thirty years. We worked on the Santa Claus together. He was in the mechanical department and. Then he deformed uh, Spectral Motion. And we'd always talked about working together one day, but it, it never timed out. So when it did time out, uh, this was after True Blood, uh, I came in to work at Spectral Motion. And one of the projects that came in was Stranger Things. And at the time, it was, it was called an untitled Duffer Brothers project, the, the, the guys that created the Duffer Brothers. And we met them, and they're great. They're children of the 90s, but they are huge fans of the 80s. Like they're guys, but they loved the 80s. And they wanted to do old practical stuff. And the scripts read great. And the Demigorgon was a major character that, you know, we had to do. And we had to figure out how to do this. We didn't do the designs. The designs came from Aaron Sims' company. But it was our job to take those designs and make them into a person in a costume. Mm-hmm. Schedule was very short. The budget wasn't huge. I mean, again, at this time, you don't know what the phenomenon it was going to be. You had no clue. You just thought, oh, this is cool. It's another project. And you go, go do it. No, and we talked to like brands about doing partnerships, product placement, and they're like, oh, this untitled film, oh, who knows? Oh. You don't know. Nobody knows. And, that, and that's the thing that tripped me out. And, and when, you know, I, I flew back and forth to Atlanta a few times to, to you know, puppeteer and work with Gorgon on set and the actor Mark Steger who played the Demi Gorgon. And when it dropped, I was visiting family back east. Um, and I, my, my cousin uh, works for Hasbro and she was giving me a tour. And everybody there was talking about Stranger Things. And I'm like, what, the, the Netflix show? And they're like, yeah, like it dropped last night. And you know, everyone's just going on and on about it. And it was, I was kind of taken aback because I had never worked on a project that was just everywhere at once and everyone's talking about it at the same time. And I worked on some big shows, but not like this. Like it was, it was very strange, my first Netflix show. So that was, 
kind of striking that, wow, this is, this is a big thing. And then it, you know, became the phenomenon that it is today. Well, I, I, you helped bring to life a creature that I think haunts many people. <laughs> he shouldn't haunt anybody. He's just misunderstood. <laughs> well, then you, through this travels and this and that, mm -hmm. ended up one day working on an, um, a film that mm -hmm. happened to have had an enchanted mermaid. Mm -hmm. And, yes. And how has this changed your life? Like, how has this affected? Because you have created a really cool. Thank you. Well, let, let me back up a little bit. So getting married and having kids was really a big change for me. As, as a single guy who made monsters, when Lord of the Rings came around, you know, I was single at the time. And, you know, Y2K was a big scare. And they're like, you know, there's everyone's going to be eyes on New Zealand because it's the first industrialized country to get light of the new millennia. So if anything's going to go wrong, it's going to go wrong in New Zealand first. And I'm like, sign me up. I'll be ground zero. Like I'm, you know, in my twenties, like no problem. And of course, something happens, but, but then, you know, as you get older, you mellow out, you have kids, you have responsibility. So um, I'm the father of daughters. And what I would do with my kids is I would play games with them, but I wouldn't, of course I can't play normal games. I've got to like make costumes and masks and we do this whole role-playing game and they're the heroines and I'm the monster and they got to fight the monster and all this stuff. So we would do that. And when I was working on um, Adam Sandler's film, Bedtime Stories, I was subcontracted by a, an excellent makeup effects artist, Tony Gardner and his company, Alterium. And I was in charge of helping them make some of the, the castings, the molds. And one of them was this mermaid tale that Carrie Russell was gonna play. She plays a mermaid in the, show, in the film for a very brief scene. But my daughter, Ava, who was five at the time, was a, a rabid a Little Mermaid fan, would watch it, would, would act it out. When she's crying, she would pretend to cry. And I was like, okay. So she likes mermaids. I have a mermaid tail. Like Ava come in here and she climbed in the thing. And of course it's too big for her. And she's trying to flip her tail, but it looks like it's, you know, there's an alien popping out halfway because <laughs> her feet don't go to the tail. And, and I couldn't get her out of the thing. And I'm like, Ava, I, I gotta, you know, we gotta drop this off. And, and then every day, at least 10 times a day, she would say, dad, you're going to make me a mermaid tail. Dad, can you make me a mermaid tail? Dad, when can I get my mermaid tail? And I was like, fine. Like I'll, I'm, I'll make you a mermaid tail. And at the time, there was nothing, there was no products out there like this. So I, I just, and I didn't do it the way we would do it for a film, which you make a mold, you sculpt it, and you cast them. Like, By the time I'm all done with that, you're going to be, you're going to outgrow it. Because kids grow really fast. So I said, what can I do? So I got some sheet foam. I just spray glued a little tail together. And she fit it, would crawl around the house, would wash the little mermaid, flip her tail, and wouldn't, would, that's all she did all day. I'm like, Ada, you can take the tail off, walk into the other room, and then put it back on. But she wanted to crawl. And then her sisters wanted tails but they had to be different than their sisters. Like, like I want my tails to look like this. Okay, well, so I made their tails. And then they started asking me, well, where do I live in the ocean? And I'm like, I, um, the Mariana Trench, which is the only location in the ocean I knew. <laughs> and I, you know, I explained a little bit, it's the deepest part of the ocean, so that's where the mermaids are because we can't get down there and see it, so that's where they hide. And then they started asking more, so I started telling more stories and it kind of grew from there. And I thought, you know what? Kids might kind of dig this, especially with parents that aren't effects artists and can't make tails. Yeah. And uh, do I want to make a swim tail? I could. But then I thought, you know, I don't want, and now they're everywhere, the swim tails. But at the time, there weren't any. And I, and I thought, you know, I don't want some knucklehead to put their kid in a swim tail and then throw them into the deep end of the pool thinking the tail's going to make them swim. I, no, I can't. Even with a disclaimer, I don't want that. And then I thought, well, the film was called Bedtime Stories. And I love telling bedtime stories to my kids. And I know a lot of people do, and, it's, and a lot of people don't do it anymore, not as big as it used to be. And I thought, well, what if there, there's, we had a mermaid tail sleeping bag? Yeah. And we had a story that the parent could read to the kid and, and the character in the book 
its tail would match the tail the kid's sleeping in. And I said, so how can we bring the story off the page, which is what I did with my girls. So one of the things I started thinking about, what we, can we put in the stories that would incorporate into the bag? So in the stories, when the mermaids use their special powers, their tails glow. So we quilted the bags with glow-in-the-dark thread. Again, to try and do something to bring the story off the page and really sure. get something to inspire to. And then I wanted to, to teach kids as well, because I figure the best way that kids learn is when they're entertained and they don't realize they're learning. When they're engaged in the story, they'll remember details that are, that are amazing. So we put real world facts into all the stories, real locations, endangered animals. And we did want to do a, a conservation message, which is very important to us because, you know, tomorrow's conservation is through today's kids. So, you know, and again, the stories are inspiring. And again, as the father of four daughters, I wanted to give them something that they could, you know, aspire to be and, and these, you know, set up these stories with challenges and decisions and hard decisions that did show more, you know, morality, integrity, character, you know, things like that. So that was kind of how it went. And then we started, uh, we started trying to make it, make it a reality. And now you have a business. It is very much. It is. And it's, it was, but it was daunting. I mean, the, the biggest advice I can give is the hardest thing for me is you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, making stuff with my contacts and my resources, I, I've got, I feel that I had, had a little bit of a leg up than other people uh, that, that try to do entrepreneurial things like how to get prototypes made and where do you go for artwork? And do you know any, and I know all of those people. I mean, I, I, I went to the best I could find in Hollywood and my contacts that helped me do things with artwork and such. So that, that was very, very helpful. Um, and at least, you know, got it to a point where, I, I mean, I could go into the details, but where we finally had our sleeping, we had a package, the, the, the manufacturer did a fantastic job. The quality is off the charts. And I got this great thing that there's nothing even close to it out there. And now what do I do? What do I do? Like, how do I tell how you market it? How do you get it sold? Absolutely. Because, you know, you see, and coming from a background where you just make monsters for a living, you see things like the Chewbacca mask that went viral. Remember that little, the woman? I do. And that woman made it. Oh, my goodness. Totally. Sell out. And it wasn't even, I thought, oh, great. We'll just make a video. We'll put it on Facebook. We'll be millionaires in a week. No. That's not how it works. No. (laughs) And I, you know, it's, I was mistaken in the fact that everyone's heard the Rocky story, the Sylvester Stallone story where he was down and out. He held out to sell his script, you know, and he held, and he got it and it became something. But what you don't hear is the tens of thousands of stories of people in a similar situation that mortgage their house to make their film or whatever, and they lose their house. Those are far more common than the Rocky story. So again, there's how many products are out there that, that are great products that just fail. And, and I started, you know, listening to marketing tapes, Neil Patel, and just trying to learn because I know nothing about it. I don't, I, it's just not what I do. I make stuff. And then, you know, you, you try to do your due diligence and you just make mistakes along the way. And I've made plenty of mistakes and I've learned from them. Um, there's some expensive mistakes and I'd be happy to, to, to share one with the listeners if they're interested. Uh, I'm sure I'm interested. I'd love, I love <sighs> people making mistakes besides well, me because as an entrepreneur, I'm great at making mistakes. And oh, yeah. From them. <laughs> yeah. So again, my, my headspace at the time was, okay, I've got it. If I can get this to go viral somehow, it'll be, and that was a mistake going for the quick kill. It really is about the slow and steady. First of all, is what I've learned. And, and you have to do as much as you can, especially if your resources are limited. And by the time all the manufacturing costs and design costs were in, my resources were very limited. So 
coming to our first Christmas, I thought, well, we've got to get the word out. How can we do that? And we interviewed three marketing companies and the, we went with this middle company that was like a, a relatively economical one, a middle of the road, and then an expensive one. I said, let's go with the middle one. That'll be the safest. And it, they showed a marketing plan and I looked at it. And I'm like, all right, this sounds good to me. Like, let's, what do we do? And, and they asked, well, what's your marketing budget? And I said, well, you tell me what my marketing budget is and I'll raise it. They're like, Mark, if you have $10, you're going to spend $10. If you have $100,000, you're going to spend $100,000. It's, it's what you have will tell us where we can, what we can do. Yep. And I said, well, you know, I, I could probably scrape together $50,000 if I had to. And I did this all bootstrapping, by the way. Like I, my job in Hollywood allows me to get extra jobs. So it's like, oh, we got to get the start work done. That's another five grand. It's like, all right, well, uh, let me take another job on the weekend to do that. And that's how that would pay for that. I probably should have looked for investors uh, in hindsight. Again, one of the things I learned, like there, there are people to go to that can help you with this. Um, so when the marketing came, I said, I, can, I could probably get you $50,000. Like, what does that get me? And they drew it all out. I said, it looks great. I wrote the check and my hand is shaking and I, and I sent it off and um, I had a panic attack and I called the president of the company and I said, I, 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 I got to tell you a story because I don't know anything about marketing at all. I just sent you the, probably the biggest check I've ever written in my life. And a couple of years ago, a producer came to me and said, I want you to make a werewolf for my film. And I said, great. What do you want? He goes, I want a nine foot tall werewolf, animatronics, you know, slathering, like, you know, this, it's the big climax. This what I said, great. I said, what was your budget for the werewolf? He goes, I have $10,000. And I said, you just bought the hair. That's it. Just bought a roll of hair, like nothing else. A roll of hair to do a werewolf nine feet tall is 10 grand from NFT. And I told that story to the, to the marketing lady. And I said, so with the $50,000 I just sent you, did I just buy the hair? Like, what do we got? She said, no, but we do have to be very careful like how we target. We, we can't like lay and spray. Like we've got to be very, she goes, Mark, I've got clients that spend $50,000 a week. Yep. And I said, well, this is it for me for the Christmas. So let's make this count, you know, please. And it, it, it barely moved the needle. Now, if I could have done that spend, you know, a quarter, I'm, that might've been, we might've gotten a little more notoriety than what we did just for the Christmas things, Christmas area. So it was, Again, in my naivete and, and wanting to make a splash and like, here we are, you know, this first Christmas, I should have pulled back and said, okay, what can I do personally to at least start getting a buzz through social media? And it's a lot of work. I mean, it, it can be done, but it's a lot of work um, before I get to a point where I just spend this money and didn't have any ROI at all. So that was, that was, that sucked. But, you know, again, you learn from it and you're like, okay, I know, I know more about marketing than I did, you know, three years ago. So, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to learn from those experiences and not repeat them. Yeah. And marketing's tough because there's nothing that's out there that's just going to make you go viral overnight, except for the luck of going viral overnight yeah. and everything is, it's plotting and it's being strategic and plotting and spending, mm -hmm. plotting and spending more and that makes it really difficult. And there's so many entrepreneurs who are like, I just need the magic bean. I will eat it. We can go. And there's I no am going to be on my way. Yeah, there's yeah. No and the stories you read, I would, I would say be very, a lot of stories while they're great, they're inspiring, you know, they, they get you hyped up. I would say a lot of those inspirational stories from other entrepreneurs, there's something missing. There, there's an element in that story that was not really put in there. And, so these overnights, I mean, it, there's the old saying, you know, it took me 10 years to be an overnight success. Yeah. 
And that's that to me is is a very accurate assessment of this of this journey, what I've discovered. So, but I know that we're onto something because you know we haven't had a bad review. Um, I can tell you that it's the it's there is no other product like its kind that is better quality or more luxurious or more magical or more imaginative. However, you know what I learned in the marketing tapes that I would listen to. You know, someone brought up McDonald's. They said, you know, McDonald's does it have the most nutritious hamburgers in the world? No. The best tasting hamburgers in the world. No, but consistent. Thank you. you. Know what you're getting. You know what you're getting. You know when you give that that value proposition. When you give this money, you know what you're getting back, and it is consistent. And it it, it kind of freaked me out because said a lot of companies that have the best product will go out of business because they cannot. And that was like, oh well, that sucks. Like, how do you not do that? You know, how, because again, as a parent. Anything I do, and, and you know, my wife's the same way. We wanted to do something. We could have done something cheap and, and falls apart after a while. And we didn't want to do that. We, yeah. want, we had this whole empire set up of this whole plan about starting when they're kids. And then the stories go into young adult stories, which we've, we've started writing. Um, so they will grow with us. We have, again, it's, there's so many details put into our product. And, and that's another challenge is how do you convey all the things that your product can do in like a sentence or less? Right. That's tricky. And it, what I also discovered too is people would look at our sleeping bags. Oh, I've seen those in Costco. I'm like, those weren't ours. They would see the the other the blanky tails or the snuggy tails, which are the fleece little tails that are sold for twenty nine ninety nine. I go, that's not what we are. We're more than just a blanket. We're so, more magical. We are. But again, how do you differentiate when someone looking at all these ads and their Facebook so fast and they just see a a cloth mermaid tail? They're just right. cool, and then they're on to the next thing. So it is about trying to make your brand stand out. And I'm still working on that. I mean, that's still evolving. That is still uh, something that we're, we're pursuing. Right. Uh, instead of just showing a happy child, showing someone whose face lights up at the pure delight of the magic, that they actually can have this like creation that they're, mm -hmm. yeah. Oh, absolutely. And we, and we do, everyone sends us pictures and they tell us how much their kids love it. And we've got YouTube videos, but again, you know, with all these other social media resources, like Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, like there's so many resources right now for entrepreneurs and people to get their message out there. But all of those require a certain skill set and experience. Like I don't know anything about YouTube and there's like meta tags and ways you can, you know, and I'm like, what? Like, again, I, I'm, I can make stuff, but like, this is a whole class I got to learn on how to make a video and get people to see it on YouTube. Like, again, it, it's been a big learn. And then the social media, uh, you know, you have to have budget also, or no one sees your posts that you make. Correct. The algorithms keep it quiet. And then you have your influencers. So well, let's go to influencers and, and they're I, expensive. <laughs> they are. And a lot of influencers well, quote unquote influencers will just want product for their kids. Yeah. We sent out so many products to different influencers and mom bloggers and nothing. They got great. The kids got sleeping bags, but, and we got posts, but it didn't, it didn't turn into conversions. That makes sense. So now you have, you, we were talking a little bit before the show and mm -hmm. have pulled away during COVID mm -hmm. um, from working with mass retailers and focusing on your own mm -hmm. channels mm -hmm. to have more control of their brand. Absolutely. What made you decide to go in that direction? So when we, when, how we got this started is our manufacturer was a great bedding company called MyTex Home Fashions and they did a phenomenal job of taking our designs and our prototypes and making them into, into amazing, I just, they're, they're, the quality's off the charts. 
And that's me saying something like, because I have high standards and they exceeded my standards. So I was very, very happy. And they you should show to those who oh, are viewing this exactly what one. this looks like. Yes. So I've got a bag here. So this is, this is our uh, Polynesian mermaid. And it's a five-piece set. And there's a pillow and there's a book. Uh, they glow in the dark. You get stickers and... And it comes in a very nicely packaged. Think that you're get, buying a brand oh. high end oh. comforter or something along those Absolutely. lines. Absolutely, and even we, you know, they were even able to do. I don't know if you can see that, but put a little logo. Ah, uh, a little gold tag. Yeah, it can be made into a necklace or a charm or something. Um, as I said, each sleeping bag comes with a book, a storybook, and this was this mermaid. So her tail is, you know, orange and green, and that's the colors of this bag is orange and green. We have our ice mermaid, whose her tail is more blue. And she's got a Gentoo penguin, which is a, uh, an endangered penguin. And again, we're looking to partner with um, conservation groups. Yeah. So things like each book we will send to the Gentoo penguin fund. You know, there's a tiger tail uh, horseshoe or a horseshoe, horse fish. What are they called? A horseshoe. Horseshoe fish. Is that what they're called? A horseshoe crab? Seahorse. 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 Okay. Seahorse. Yeah. So, yeah. So again, another endangered. So again, putting the real world stuff in there. Um, was important to us and you know it's again you have this thing and then you know you see things like the snuggy tails where where that product I would argue that not a lot of money was spent on developing in the product but they put a lot more money in their marketing and as a result you have a $29.99 product that is outselling us top to bottom even though it's, it's you know probably three or four dollars to manufacture they're very very economical to manufacture something like that so i've got artists i've got writers i've got agreements with everybody for royalties and things so i did it did a whole thing and it's just a matter again of trying to explain that this is more than just a sleeping bag it's an experience no it's a whole story you have actually created a marketing machine around your product through your stories we tried it. We took and we have maps. There's a map that, uh, so we made this map and each, there's uh, nine realms, nine undersea realms. These are the first three. So each realm, uh, we took um, different mythologies. So every, every culture on the planet has a myth about mermaids. We didn't know this. My wife did all this research. And so what we wanted to do was incorporate those myths, elements of them into our story. So if a kid from Norway is reading about our North Sea mermaid, there will be familiar elements there to the myths that they've grown up with in the legends. We, we tweaked them a little bit to fit more of a through line narrative, you know, in some, you know, they're, they're uh, good guys or bad guys, depending on the culture, what mermaids are. So we, we made them all heroines and we made all of our characters, um, the, the young adult stories, they're, they're growing up on land, they don't know that they're mermaids and that they have a destiny to come together and then fight the bad guys, essentially. I wanted to, do, you know, taking a page from Marvel's playbook, taking all these individual films and culminating it with the Avengers, which is kind of where I wanted to go with this. And, you know, making the characters flawed, making the characters, you know, again, matching my own daughters. Like, I've got four daughters, and it's, it's amazing to me that, you know, same parents, same environment, they couldn't be more different, any one of them. Like, you know, you have this, when you bring your kids home, you're like, oh, this baby, I'm going to mold it into the perfect human. No, this other person from the hospital comes home to live with you. And then <laughs> deal with that personality. So again, it's, you know, with my daughters, I was able to make the characters, the mermaids, after some of them, with their personalities and their likes and their interests. So we, you know, and I wanted it to be inclusive. I wanted kids to, you know, even if you felt like, as, I, as I've often said, I don't care who you are, if you're a child, and at some point you felt like you didn't belong, you questioned who you are, I don't care how popular you are, if you're not popular, 
everybody has that. And I wanted to, part of this is to say, it's okay, you can be different. It is okay. And I wanted to celebrate the kids and the diversity and, the, and, their, and you know, who they are. And how many different tales are there? Story as well as we, actual mermaid tales. So actual ones that are made, we have three made right now. We have six others that are in development that we're working on. Um, and it's just a matter of, you know, creating the buzz and, and getting the stuff going. It's ready to go. I just, again, have to hit that revenue stream to go, okay, now we're going to pull the trigger on our, our, on this mermaid, you know, so, and then we've got to plan about how to roll them all out. That's awesome. That's really, really, really cool. I'm wishing you. Thank you. Because just looking online at your product, you do have something that is special. And again, I'm so about storytelling. You have, mm-hmm. which is phenomenal. Thank you. Thank you. We're trying. So, but it's just, again, just getting the word out there because it is, there's so much stuff now, again, as I said earlier, with, with things like Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, there are a lot more resources for people to get the word out, but there's also a lot more stuff that's getting out there. Like now, so you, how do you make yourself stand out in this freeway where all these billboards of all these other products, how do you make yours stand out and still remain true to the brand, you know, and not sell out and not, not compromise something for yourself. Which I'm, I'm very big on as well. So, and you're looking at leveraging Hollywood to help you stand out by creating Absolutely. a potential series. I mean, some people will mm-hmm. put their products in in shows through product placement, but you're mm-hmm. actually utilizing a series to mm-hmm. be your product to get Absolutely. drive that messaging and that sale. Absolutely, because it is about the storytelling. I mean, again, the stories. You know, I mean, I love telling stories. I love doing stories with my kids, even though I make monsters. I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a filmmaker, and, I, and, and monsters are a tool for the filmmaker to tell their story. And everyone sees the bag. The bag is obviously the flagship thing that gets the most attention because nobody's going to buy a mermaid story sold by Mark Maniello. But I thought, well, if I can make a good story and have this other factor involved, which is the sleeping bag, the cool glow-in-the-dark sleeping bag, you know, maybe that would be something that would launch. And you know, we're, we're, it is getting attention. And again, through contacts in Hollywood and, and I'm able to take meetings at places like Apple Plus, Netflix, you know, Nickelodeon, things like that. So, so that's been, again, you know, I feel kind of guilty that I have uh, resources that, that what I say, normal entrepreneurs do not. But it's still hard. Even with those resources, it's not easy. I, we're not on series yet, and we're still pitching. So it's, it's tricky. It's very, very tricky. It's almost a catch-22 sometimes is what I'm discovering. Well, I don't think that you should feel any sorrow or shame uh, that you have some resources others don't. I mean, you've been sculpting yourself as an entrepreneur since childhood. Yeah. Yeah. And I didn't realize that until you're getting out here. You're right. That's a good point. Because again, even just doing the monster stuff, it's, it's a very atypical job and it's very, you know, you're, you live like a gypsy, you go from film to film and and you get some lean times. And, but that's what I, I love that job. And I love what I do. And And I love doing this with my kids. The most fun I had was, developing this with my kids and coming up with ideas and story points and then getting the artwork together and putting all that stuff together and then seeing it it's just like wow I know some really amazing people and I'm so blessed and fortunate uh there that are not only I know them they're willing to help me with this stuff so you know it's been a, it's a journey well on the point of getting the message out how can our listeners find out more about you your product everything under the sun about mark well, I, I apparently I'm again learning about marketing and self promotion. I'm terrible at self promotion, and I, and my wife gets on my case about that all the time. She's like, "Look at your resume. You need to, to promote yourself more." I'm like, "Yeah, whatever." 
But if people, I mean, if you Google my name or you Google Enchant Hills, a lot of things will pop up. There have been plenty of articles, interviews like, like this, and um, our website, um, enchanthills.com, www.enchanthills.com. There's a little about us section there and they can order from uh, Enchant Hills or they can go to Amazon or Etsy or, you know, that we have some other platforms, but uh, our website I think is the best deal at the moment um, because there's a cost associated. Like again, learning about Amazon, Amazon's tricky to deal with. I love it as a customer, as a vendor, not so much. It's, it's, it's not ideal for a brand like mine, not at the stage I'm at right now, um, but it does legitimize you. There is a, a, you know, if someone goes to Amazon and they, your product comes up, it's, it's almost like, oh, okay, so they're real, even though we are, but it's, because I do that, uh, you know, uh, oh, this product, is it on Amazon? There it is. So. Right. Versus but, Etsy, which seems much smaller as a brand uh-huh. or a Wix platform or the like. So it does right. that bigger feel. It does. And, and, you know, again, not knowing anything like, okay, you know, I'm, I'm going to make this thing. What do I do? Like, what's the first thing I can do? And, and for me, it's about momentum and little wins. And what I tell everybody, if you have an idea for a product, come up with a name for your product or your company and then buy the domain name. Domain like right name. away, like right don't away. finalize your name until you get the domain name. I get tell the domain name because people do it all the time. And then I'm like, no, it doesn't. You can't get the domain. You have to do it at the same time. I, I did it before I even registered it or trademarked it or anything. Just and again, because what it does is like, okay, you feel a little empowered. Like I, I own enchantails.com. Like that's mine. Yeah. And then, you know, I went nuts and I bought, you know, the mermaid names and the realm names. Like I didn't need to do all that, but I don't know what you don't know. And then, you know, looking to apply for a patent, you know, a design patent. So I went down that road. I wanted to make sure I was protected. And I spent a lot of, a, a lot of time. What I've seen with other entrepreneurs, myself included, is that, you almost get paralyzed by fear. You hear the horror stories. You watch a movie like Joy, where it shows the scene where she's in the factory and it shows her thing getting ripped off. I would have, I would have burned that factory to the ground. I would have lost my mind if they did that. I would have been so angry. And but that fuels, you know, the art. Like, oh my gosh. And you, you got to kind of get out of your own head and just be like, look, it, you got to do it. You got to move forward. You cannot be paralyzed. You're going to get ripped off. You know what? And if you're successful, you're going to get ripped off. It's going to happen. The Make- sign of success. I, so again, a, a thing that I do is I, I, and I did this in my makeup effects careers, I feel, you know, standing on the shoulders of giants, looking at someone who has done what you want to do, but has already been there. Right. So I looked at all other makeup artists. I know the history of makeup. I mean, that I love. So, but I thought, where do I go for this? And there were three entrepreneurs, three women entrepreneurs above all others that were my inspiration to do this. And, you know, the first one was Pleasant Roland, who did American Girl. And I thought $110 for a doll and a book. I said, that's insane. We have six of them. Yes. We go to the American. My, my generation was Cabbage Patch Kids. Oh, they Cabbage Patch Kids were bananas. You right? couldn't get them. Same thing. That was the predecessor. And, but she had a story that talked about the history. I'm like, that's really cool. Like you're getting something. And, I, you know, we, my wife looked at getting the knockoffs, but she's like, they're, they're not the real ones. They're really nice quality. So I said, okay. You know, quick pleasant role in here is one of my inspirations. Another one was Jennifer Telfer, who did pillow pets and reading her story about pillow pets, how her son would sleep on his stuffed animal and got flat. And so she made a stuffed animal turned into a pillow pet. And I read about her journey and I was like, okay, interesting. And then the last one was Sarah Blakely, who did Spanx. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, reading about Spanx, knowing nothing, I'm like, how did she even get, I mean, because 
she basically took pantyhose and cut the feet off, basically. And she's a billionaire now. She's self-paid, and she did it. I, I'm, I was like, that's that's incredible. Like, how do you do that? So I follow her. I follow her husband Jesse Itzler, and I try to learn from them. But it's 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 a, it's tough. It's a grind, and you have to be consistent with it. And, and the hardest thing for me is is serving two masters. You know, I've got my day job, which requires a lot of effort, energy, and attention, and then this baby and chantails that also requires a lot of energy. There's only so many hours a day and I still want to see my family because my kids are getting big. So it, it's it's tricky, but you know, you find a way to make it work. Well Mark, I could probably talk to you for another hour. You are a guest. Yeah. Thank you oh, thank so you. much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Stacey. It was a pleasure. Of course. And to all of our for tuning in to marketing mistakes and how to avoid them today. I look forward to chatting with you this next week.